But first of all, Happy New Year, everybody. How many of you will be in bed by the time the, the ball drops? Huh? Right here. Amen. So please, for, for those who didn't raise their hands, keep it down for us who are in bed. We're trying to get eight hours sleep. All right, so. Well, Happy New Year, and also, Merry Christmas. So we're still in the heart of the Christmas season, because remember, as Catholics, Christmas is more than a day. It's an entire season, and so we celebrate the birth of our Lord with festivity and remembrance and, and celebration. So remember, it's still Christmas for us. And before we dive into these readings for this Feast of the Holy Family, if I can ask for your prayers... Uh, tomorrow, I'm flying out to St. Louis along with a other group of parishioners. We're going to a, this huge conference that's held every year. It's called the Seek Conference. Seek as in seek the truth. So Seek Conference. And they're expecting 20,000 college students to descend upon St. Louis. Not only that, but about 600 Catholic priests will all be there. And the Sea Conference, what it is, it's put on by a group known as FOCUS, which is a Catholic missionary group which specifically targets college campuses. Again, why college campuses? Well, college campuses is a battleground for the hearts and minds of the future generations. And so we understand if we want to affect change in our nation and to evangelize our culture, the Catholic Church needs a firm, strong, and vibrant presence on college campuses. And so FOCUS forms Catholic missionaries. For two years, missionaries have to promise to be at a campus where they form what we call missionary disciples, form small groups of Catholics, form them strongly in the faith, and then sends them out to multiply and to start evangelizing their friends and their neighbors and to bring them closer to Jesus Christ. And so the reason why we're taking a group of parishioners we're taking that model of missionary discipleship and we're going to apply it here at St. Mary's. As part of the vision that I have for the parish is to form strong community rooted in Jesus Christ and unafraid to share the Catholic faith to everybody that they meet. To form missionary disciples. And so that's the goal. So pray for us. 20,000 college students, as you know, takes a lot of your energy. <laughs> and to be with 600 Catholic priests, ah, oh, it'd be a glorious, glorious time. So pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our parish is blessed to have many military families here that call our parish their spiritual home, especially being here at, so near Travis Air Force Base. And as I get to know many military members, you get to know also the, the different subcultures in the military, especially the friendly rivalry between the different military branches. It's always funny. I was, I was hanging out once at Journey Coffee near Travis Air Force Base. I think the one on One Lake, I think that's the street there. If you've ever been there, beautiful place. They have a man-made lake. You can walk around, big, beautiful windows. And so it's a nice place to hang out. And if you ever go there, you know that a lot of Air Force men and women have lunch there. You see them all in their uniforms, or they're just hanging out. And as I was there just doing, doing office work on my computer, I text an old parishioner of mine who, was, or who is an Army Ranger. 
I said, hey, Andy, I'm surrounded by all these Air Force people. Do you have a message for them you would like me to share? And of course, he laughed. Because what, what is the funny tagline against the Air Force that all the military branches have? What do they call you guys? <laughs> chair Force. And, and you're, you're more preoccupied with the cushion on your, on your chairs and, and your office work. But. So he was just laughing at the Air Force. In my previous parish, I found out that one of my parishioners, a convert to the church, is a Navy SEAL. The Navy SEALs are arguably the fiercest, some of the toughest soldiers our nation even produces. And what's amazing about him when I met him is that he would never mention that he was a Navy SEAL because they're known to to be quiet professionals, to do their work vigilantly, quietly, heroically, but with little fanfare. I don't know about you, but if I was a Navy SEAL, that's, I, I'd lead with that. <laughs> Good morning, I'm a Navy SEAL. Oh, I'm, I'm Father Navy SEAL. Hello. I get t-shirts made, I get hats made, and so everybody knew I was a Navy SEAL, but maybe that's why I'm not one, actually. But, but if you talk to him, especially when we have parish events, we have dinner at different parishioners' houses or different parish functions, he was always that quiet man in the corner. And he was huge, 6'3", about 230 pounds. I mean, he, he looked like a football player. And if you asked him and you pressed him, he said, hey, well, well, what do you do? He says, oh, I was, I was in the military. Oh, what branch? Oh, the Navy. What you do in the Navy? And if you keep pushing him and pushing him, the most he would say is, oh, I was in Navy intelligence. And he would never say, I'm a SEAL. He was quiet about it. What does that reveal about him as, in his character? What makes them great? Or, not, or in fact, to link it to this beautiful feast of the Holy Family, what virtue does, does he display with many of the central figures that we have in our readings. First reading, of course, we have Abraham. The second reading talks more about Abraham. In the Gospel reading, we have the Holy Family. We have Simeon and Anna. What is the virtue that unites all of them? And I dare say it is the virtue which what makes this family holy, with that adjective, as opposed to a family that's unholy. Abraham, in the first reading from Genesis. What makes Abraham great, and as a God promises to give him descendants, what does Abraham exemplify? It's here. Quoting from the first reading, Abraham put his faith in the Lord, who credited it to him as an act of righteousness. It was 
the humility of Abraham. Notice that again. In humility, humble now, Abraham, not quite understanding, led to his obedience. See those two virtues. To be humble before the will of God, and then now to be obedient to whatever God asks. That's our first clue. To be humble, and now to be obedient. And we see this dramatically. In the first reading, it said that God would give Abraham a son, Isaac. And if we remember the story well, it continues. What does God ask of Abraham to do now with his beloved son? The second reading talks about it. God asks Abraham the impossible question. Will you sacrifice your son on my behalf? Again, parents in here, you know this insight well. Because there's nobody on earth you love the most than your own children. And so here's the heart of a father. God asks of him, sacrifice your son. It's an impossible request. But what does Abraham do? He is humble and then obedient. To the point where in that final moment when he's about to strike Isaac, It's only then that he passes the test and the angel stays his hand. How about Simeon? Simeon in the Gospel reading, it says that Simeon spent day and night in the temple. Why? Because he waited for the consolation of Israel. Meaning, Simeon was obedient to God and humble because he understood the promises that eventually God would do, that God would send a Messiah into the world. And Simeon waited day and night until the Lord would fulfill this promise, just as it was with Anna later on in the reading. Again, what was Anna doing in the temple? Well, it says here, what Anna was doing day and night was worshiping God and fasting and praying. Humble, and obedient. And now enter Saint Joseph. Here's a fun fact. How many words are attributed in sacred scripture to Saint Joseph? Does anybody know? How many words do we have written down of Saint Joseph in, in the Bible? Zero. I heard many of you say it. There are no words attributed to Joseph. In all of sacred scripture. No, none at all. Again, why? Because part of the virtue of humility is not calling attention to oneself, to be quiet, to be humble, to do our duty without drawing attention. We all have those, you all, we all have those friends and our co-workers that are loud. You, you know those type of people that talk about all their accomplishments? They boast about whatever thing they bought lately. They boast about their vacation. They boast about this. They boast about that. We all know those people. 
oh, they call attention to themselves. I always, whenever I run into those people, it's like that, remember in high school, that guy that put in those huge speakers and, and amplifiers in their cars, and they drove around the, college, uh, the, the high school campus blasting their radios, why? Or you see them at the stoplight sometimes, you see those cars at the stoplight and, and, they're, and, you, and it makes you wonder how they even, how are their ears not popping right, with that loud music? What are they doing? Look at me, everybody! Look how amazing I am with my loud music. Oh, those are always the weakest people. And you can always tell the weakest people in the room. They're always the most loud. Why are they always so loud? Because they know internally and spiritually they're weak. And so they need to make up for it by boasting. Oh, but the quiet types requires an inner strength. A humility that doesn't need anyone to affirm us. Joseph, if you recall, remember back when he was betrothed to Mary and she found that she was pregnant. What did Joseph do? He tried to divorce her quietly, it says in scripture. But God went to him in a dream and says, No, Joseph, take Mary into your home. What does Joseph do? Oh, he is obedience. When the baby Jesus is born, the angel tells him that Herod wants to kill the baby Jesus. Joseph, flee to Egypt. What does Joseph do? He goes to Egypt, takes his newborn child and his wife. Again, picture, picture the distance from modern-day Israel all the way they journey through the desert back to Egypt. That journey would have taken them through, most likely, where the current war is happening now in Gaza. They would have easily traversed that region. Joseph, now, the angel again appears, return back. What does Joseph do? He uproots his entire family, and he goes. The role of Joseph and Mary here beautifully in this Feast of the Holy Family. They exemplify this, these virtues again. In the Gospel, it continues. When the day came to purify them according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem so that he could be presented to the Lord. Again, this law of, Jerus- this, this law of Moses of which to go to Jerusalem was enacted in response to Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus 32, it is the story of the golden calf. Do you remember that powerful moment when Moses goes up Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments and he comes down to the Israelite people? What are the Israelites doing? They're worshiping an idol, the golden calf. They're completely disobedient to God and his commandments. Because that is the first commandment, is to have no other gods above, above him. And then what do they immediately do? They start worshiping a cow. And in response to that, as punishment to the Israelite people for this being disobedient, Leviticus chapter 12 now comes into play, which is, the law that the, Jew, that the Jews had to follow. So whenever a child was born, so whenever, especially a male child, you would take them to the holy temple and you present them to God. 
Every Jew had to do this because of the disobedience that their ancestors had back in Exodus 32. So the two are linked. If we want our families to be holy, we must follow the example of Abraham. Follow the example of Simeon, Anna. Follow the example of Mary and Joseph. Because what did they do? They were humble before the law of God. And that humility leads to their obedience. That's what makes a family holy. One of the greatest titles, one of my favorite titles of St. Joseph is, if you ever prayed a litany of St. Joseph, all the beautiful titles of his, one of his most favorite ones, especially for us men, is the terror of demons. Imagine having that title. Deacon Rob, the terror of demons. <laughs> Father Reggie, the terror of demons. Oh, man. Joseph is the terror of demons. Why? Well, what is the quality and, and, and the vice of the devil and all of his minions and his fallen angels? What is their vice? Their prideful disobedience. And then so now Joseph appears in Mary and the Holy Family. They counter and they battle our enemies with quiet, humble obedience. That, my brothers and sisters, is what makes family holy.